What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 30 of Twigs and Twine. Just before we get into uh, the introductions, I just want to quickly plug our little uh, promo going on with Well Simple, the Well Simple Cash app for anyone in Canada, 18 plus. Sign up now with our code HQRSJN. Promo is it's been changing uh, for the past few days now, so sign up quickly just before it goes away. Ten dollars, it's for you get ten bucks, we get we get ten bucks. Everybody wins. It's free money. There's no no shitty thing about it. You just sign up, you get some free money. You don't even have to uh, to deposit anything. You just sign up with your account, put in our code HQRSJN, and you get ten bucks free. Hopefully the code will go back up to, to 25 and uh, hopefully even higher. If that's the case, we will inform you guys as we see it. So back uh, on topic for once, Joey Ferlano, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Not much. Just got home from a long day at work, but uh, time to talk some hockey. Beautiful, beautiful. So um, we were just discussing something uh, before recording. And a few weeks ago, I, I teased it a bit, but you couldn't uh, announce anything. Are you able to announce it now? No, not yet. I like to wait for the perfect time. When I get bit in the ass, I get bit in the ass. Don't need no uh, recording. All right. So let me just put it this way. Soon we will be uh, announcing some insider, some insider information on uh, a certain transaction within the uh, the GoJHL in Ontario. Let me just leave it at that for now. So just to wrap up a major topic that's been going around. We'll wrap it up. It's gonna take take us a while. To wrap up uh, a topic that we started last week, but we couldn't finish because not all the information came out with the Kyle Beach saga. A lot of shit came out. So let's just start with the easy stuff. Joel Quenville, he announced his resignation from the Florida Panthers for uh, having to do with his involvement in the scandal and not doing anything about it after finding out. I believe it was three weeks that uh, they waited. The Blackhawks brass at the time, they waited before doing anything about it just to get to get through the playoffs. And he came out and said, I want to express my sorrow and pain for this young man, Kyle Beach. My former team, the Blackhawks, failed Kyle, and I own my share of that. He said in a statement to TSN, I want to reflect on how all this happened and take the time to educate myself on ensuring hockey spaces are safe for everyone. He was in his third year as head coach of the Panthers, who they're going to be hurting from this. They're off to a 7-0, uh, 7-0-0 start, or they were at the time off to a 7-0-0 start. I'm not sure what happened Ever since then, I was taking that directly from uh, ESPN. If I can just quickly pull it up. There's no way that he wrote this. Like, this seems like a little bit too business. The Panthers definitely had a spe- had a speech writer for him, no? Oh, for sure. Panthers are 8-0-1 through nine games, 17 points. They are top of the Atlantic. They're on a hot tear. I think they are going to miss Coach Q. But at the same time, everyone's been starting to play up to up to standards now. And Bobrovsky's finally starting to get to the team some value out of that $10 million contract. What is that? Three years in? Yeah, three. I think everyone in Florida is sweating out. From the sounds of it, they really don't want Ports there. But he's looking like a very viable option. Oh, that's another one. Shit. Now I really wish we had Muff on the show this week. Yeah, Torts looks like he's going to be the um, the replacement, which I can't wait to see that happen. I can't wait to see John Tortorella and Joe Thornton on the same team. Yeah, uh, Canucks fans are not excited about that one. Oh, that'll be great. That will be great. And even Bobrovsky, too, which, you know what? That might even be another good thing for Bob, because if I remember correctly, Torts was his coach on Columbus, I believe, when he won the Vesna. Didn't he win the Vesna? Yeah. Goalie of the year? I believe so. It was in Columbus. Also, I believe so. And guaranteed it was in Columbus. It wasn't in fucking Philly. But no, so that might be interesting because 
he obviously likes the way that Torts is uh, coaching style, or else like he had he had some of the, the best seasons of his career with Torts. Right now, he's got a one eight one GAA and a nine four four save percentage through six games. He's only allowed eleven goals in six in six games. Those are stupid numbers. Granted, six only six games in, but he's on a tear right now, right at the perfect time because they're going through a turmoil right now and in, in the coaching front. But what are you going to do? And now the Panthers are going to be. Headed up by a longtime former NHLer, Andrew Brunette, who, if I'm not mistaken, that name does sound extremely familiar. Obviously, he's known for playing with the Wild. If I'm not mistaken, he's like synonymous with the Minnesota Wild during his years with the team. Yeah, he played six seasons with the Wild back in his day. So we'll see what happens with him. I believe this is his first head coaching gig. Also, the uh, the Quenville resignation comes in the back of his meeting with Gary Bettman, who we will get to that nutcase in a, in a few minutes. It was the right thing to do, especially the fact that he resigned. This was a forced resign, like resignation, though. There's no way, or I, I really don't think that he wanted to resign from the team unless he had to. Nobody wants to resign from that, but the situation itself is unfortunate. But credits to uh, Quinville for, you know, being uh, professional enough to identify when he's wrong and knowing when to. Being professional enough to hire a professional speechwriter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you gotta cut corners. <laughs> Yeah, no, we all knew this was going to happen as soon as it came out. We talked about it last week. It was a rumor at the time because like last week, the news literally came out minutes before we started recording. It was the right thing to happen. He should not be working in the league this season. Him and uh, Stan Bowman as well. They are going to be back. I don't have the exact quote, but Batman did speak about they're going to go and try and get educated. They're not banned from the league. They can come back if uh, certain criteria are met. I think that some of the criteria is the, they have to have meetings with Batman and like go through like some course or some shit like that, which I completely agree with that. I completely 110% agree with the criteria, which is probably one of the only good things that Batman did throughout this whole scenario. Joey, anything else on that before I get into the bigger news, like the bigger, broader topic? No, you covered it. You can uh, go on to that bomb though. So uh, Gary Batman, it looks like he might be out of a job soon. Quebec fans are ecstatic. Quebec fans are ecstatic. Yeah, you're right. Fuck, that's a good point. We might end up seeing uh, a 33rd team. We're getting them uh, seeing something uh, like that happen. I went on Twitter to pull up the, the Colts from uh, Alan Walsh. Joey, remember the the St. Mike's College uh, thing from a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah, now the guy, the guy just got two years probation. So that just came out after things been in tri- uh, trials been in court since 2018. Yeah, it's been a while. God, I, I completely forgot about that. So Gary Batman, after this whole scenario, he came out with a few words to say about there uh, and a few decisions that came down. Obviously, with um, Stan Boltman and with Quendall, but also the two million dollar fine at the Blackhawks, and basically that's it. Now everyone's coming out and saying that they want Batman to be out. Like I apologize, like I don't have all the information in front of me right now. It's been a shit show of a day. One thing that I wanted to say now, that's one reason, why, one of the main reasons why people are calling for Batman's head. This is a statement from Frank Saravalli, formerly of TSN, now of Daily Faceoff, president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. He was talking about how there was a press conference with Gary Batman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. And Rick Westhead, the, the reporter who had been following this whole scandal from day one, and had he obviously had the, the interview with Kyle Beach, which honestly, if you haven't seen it yet, watch it it's an amazing interview it's honestly really sad to hear everything that he had to say but it had something that had to be said and now he was in the press conference 
And long story short, he was trying to get his question across for 47 minutes before the NHL allowed him one question. And in the statement, Frank Cervalli said, and I quote, Westhead is not a PHWA member, but if anything, Westhead's work over the last months, not days, proved the vital need for a free press in hockey. He asked questions, he gave voice to the voiceless, and discovered countless facts and details that helped uncover one of the worst scandals in the league's 104-year-old history. At best, the NHL waiting 47 minutes to call on the journalist, leading the charge and reporting on this heinous story only after the league was publicly outed for not doing so was an awful coincidence. At worst, it was an attempt to further avoid accountability and control the narrative. A free press is only effective if it is truly free. Our message is simple. We will not be silenced. We will not be deterred. We will not stop asking questions for the good of the game, for the good of all involved. He also mentioned how Monday was not the first time Westhead had attempted to participate in league press conferences, but was denied the opportunity to ask any questions. And this is including that other media members were allowed questions, follow-ups, follow-ups after the follow-ups. That's a pretty big fucking scandal. Yeah, no, that's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. We all knew Gary Bettman was a scumbag, but like, this is a mafia shit here. Like, who was it? Yeah, that's tough to hear to like put under the rug like that. That's a This is a funny quote from a Globe Mail article. Batman Don Corleone the situation by convincing Joel Quenville to fire himself. <laughs> so now people are calling for his head. Alan Walsh earlier today, Tuesday, the second of the time recording. I'm hearing this morning that several NHL owners are very concerned and unhappy with Gary Bettman's leadership. Concerned and very concerned and unhappy quote, obviously. I think the owners realize it's time for change in the NHL and culture only changes from the top down. It's time to, and in all caps, fire Bettman. From the way Gary has mismanaged the horrific events in Chicago, to his refusing to acknowledge the, a link between traumatic brain injury and CTE. That is a lawsuit from, I want to say, over 100 players. Started maybe 10 years ago, but didn't get settled to about three to four years ago, I believe. For doing nothing to help retired players, for calling the NHL a family, for the Department of Player suspensions, for the way the game is marketed, for the lack of any coherent global strategy, for turning his back on the issues like painkiller, ambient, toradol abuse, for his lack of empathy and caring, for his three lockouts and all the lies, it is time for Gary to go. Honestly, I completely agree. Everybody talks about, yeah, trying to grow the NHL, trying to grow the game of hockey outside of just Canada, the US, the top countries. We're trying to build build the game worldwide. We're trying to bring it to places like China, Japan. We brought it to Korea, but that's already in the past. That, was, that worked out fairly well. We're trying to build the game worldwide places like in Asia, in other parts of Europe where no one knows about the sport. In Africa, you saw, I don't know if you saw the Jamaican the Jamaican hockey team. Yeah, their first player is uh, projected to play in the NHL or get drafted to the NHL. No, he played. Oh, he played. Well, congrats to him. I think he played for the, I don't remember his name, to be honest, but I think he played for the Caps. I've said this for a while now. Greatest sport on the planet, worst league. The amount that the NHL is going through right now with lawsuits and I believe they're going through another lawsuit to do with addiction and mental health. Correct me if I'm wrong. That could be part of the CTE, the brain injury one. No, that's not a part of CTE. I think CTE was already uh, settled a few years ago. But yeah, this is something different. Like this is something that Robin Leonard was speaking on. And we're going to have Brady Leavold on to, again, to discuss everything that the whole story that Robin Leonard was alluding to in his tweets from a few weeks ago, all of the stories around pills and like teams giving out, what was the exact quote? Painkillers, Ambient, Toradol, stuff like that. So we're going to have Brady Leavell back on to discuss all of that. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, that is another lawsuit that is still in the courts. The NHL is just going through a complete shit show. Sorry, continue. It's not a good look for the league. 
especially when you're trying to grow, especially to a league that's been losing viewerships to the NBA as of recently, especially in hot button cities with hockey like Toronto. The Raptors are growing, the Leafs are fading. I shouldn't say fading, but they're not growing at the rate the Raptors are. You mentioned about growing the game into other parts of Europe, Asia. That's good and all, but we also got to focus on growing the game in North America as well because take a team like Phoenix struggling, another team like Florida. They're doing well, but like years before, they have issues filling up the stadium, even with the 7-0 start. So we got to take a look at home before we could start traveling the world. And Bettman, I'll give credit when credit is due. He's done a, in the past. How long has he been in office? 20, 25 years? I want to say since the, since the mid-90s. Yeah, so 25 to 30 years. He has grown the game, but he's also hurt the league. And who was that quote that said it starts from the top? Alan Walsh. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Change does start from the top. And I think what this league needs is a new face. Is a new course of action. It's been a mess lately, and it's time to time to move on. Okay, I got one question for you. You fire Gary Batman, not who, because that's a bit of a loaded question. But what kind of person do you have replace him? Do you have an ex-player? Do you have a lawyer like Batman was? Which, if that's the case, I want Brian Burke to lead the NHL right now. Like I want Brian Burke in Batman's position. Do you have a lawyer? Do you have an ex-GM, like an ex-management, ex-coach, ex-scout, like? ex-player somebody who was in media somebody who was working hockey ops but not but wasn't out in the limelight like what kind of person do you have on that's a, actually a really good question i don't know i'm thinking maybe like i feel like they need a younger guy in there you know not an old fart imagine paul does hear me out <laughs> i feel like he wouldn't do that bad of a job i just feel like there'd be too much paperwork that he wouldn't be able to that he wouldn't be able to read it yeah but like this is like everything you just said Ex-player, media, fucking stud, young. The only sad thing is that he's in a relationship. If you imagine being commissioner of the NHL and still being single and being biz, I love it. I love it. No, but on a on a more serious note, that's like I honestly couldn't answer that question. I never really paid it much thought because it's always been fire Batman, fuck Batman, get him out of office, and never okay, who do we bring in? Yeah, I never thought of that either. I'm gonna be honest. You know what? Honestly, a guy like Brian Burke would be perfect. Like that guy. I'm actually being serious here. Hear me out. Brian Burke has seen it all. He's a lawyer. I think he graduated from Harvard. He worked for Batman. He worked as a GM, president, a scout. He did everything on the management side. I believe he was a scout for a time. Uh, he did everything on the management side. He worked in the, in the NHL office. He has mentioned that he wants to go back. He would go back and work in the NHL head office in New York. Why not have Brian Burke be the commissioner of the NHL. Granted, I know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to fire Batman and then Bill Daly's going to take over. That's not going to work. They're going to get rid of Batman and then put in a puppet, like uh, somebody as his puppet. Now that I'm saying that, you might some people could say the same about Brian Burke because he's mentioned many times how he loves Gary Batman. But Brian Burke's also somebody who doesn't take shit from anybody. And he's the puppet master. He's not the puppet. Look what he's doing in Pittsburgh. He's not the GM, but he's, he's the president of Hockey Ops, but he, he's the one that everyone knows is leading that team. Yeah, I feel like... Daily is like the most logical answer that someone could say, you know, he's under, you know, he's Batman's right hand man directly. Yeah, I get that. But like also at the same time, you fire Batman, you got to fire the assistant. But do you though? Like he's the deputy deputy commissioner. You have to fire them. You get rid of one. You got to get rid of both. You want to get rid of the disease. You got to get rid of the entire thing. And I'm not saying get rid of the entire National Hockey League uh, brain trust because that's a bit too much. And also there's a few owners in there. I believe Jeremy Jacobs. 
I think if you get rid of Batman, you got to get rid of Bill Daly. And then from there, you got to go and you got to, I say you got to bring in somebody to breed the next guy. I just searched up Gary Batman's like history right now. Senior VP and general counsel for the NBA before coming in to the NHL in 93. We need somebody who's been hockey from the day they were born until the day they die. You know who I think would actually be a really good fit? Who? Uh, Steve Eisenman. Steve Eisenman. I do not think that he's ready to, to stop being a GM. I think he likes having full control over a team. Granted, having full control over the league would be fucking great. That's a guy with a big ego, but and then he can go to all the players and say, "Yeah, yeah," and say, "Yeah, hey, you smoke, you smoke weed." I think I don't know. I just think Stevie uh, Stevie Y would be a good fit. I don't know. Yeah, and I get that, but at the same time, I'm sticking by my theory. If they're not gonna go out and hire somebody that no one's ever heard of, or somebody like Batman that worked for that start that's been working it for a different sport like basketball, baseball, whatever. If they stick with somebody who Let's just say within the family, because like, and by that I mean who has previously worked in the industry, and they're going to go out and hire Brian Burke, and then they're going to hire somebody younger as the deputy commissioner, somebody to be uh, Burke's protege. And if that's the case, you put Brian Burke back in uh, as the commissioner. Say goodbye to your uh, your relaxed dress code. Lou Lamarello is going to be calling him up every day. Fuck, finally, now we could finally bring get this league back to the uh, the way I like it from 1985. But do you bring in like a guy like Burke? Because like Burke, now that you mentioned that very traditional guy, is that what the league needs right now? Like another just blue collar traditional guy, keep it how it is. Or do we do you need a re- revamp? Someone new, someone younger, someone with the you know. Yeah, but I don't think you can just thrust somebody in. I think that's the reason why I'm saying you bring in Burke and then you bring in a younger guy as the protege. You bring him in as the de- deputy commissioner. Because how old is Brian Burke anyways? I want to say he's in his seventies. At least, yeah. He's not 80. He's not that. He's 66. So that's why I'm saying you bring in Burke. Anybody who's ever spoken to him, anybody who's ever seen his interviews, he's such a genuine down-to-earth guy. And he's involved in every aspect of hockey, whether HFC, Hockey Fights Cancer, uh, whether it be, I believe he does a lot of work with LGBTQ as well. He works with, the, with another charity that helps out, uh, I want to say drunk driving. like Matt, I think he works with Matt as well, but he's just a completely great guy. At the very least, as a stopgap for a few years until you can find somebody else. Because right now, I'm telling, I'm saying by Christmas, Batman's gone. Yeah, he's a great guy, hands down. That's gonna be the Christmas present to the league and all the and all its fans. Gary Batman can get the fuck out of the out of the the league, and then they're gonna hire Brian Burke as the new commissioner of the NHL. Sign it now. Put your bets in. Let's get it going. I will personally go down to New York and make it happen myself if I have to. We can agree on he's qualified, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can also agree on this would be the most hilarious thing in the world as well. Imagine at the like all at all these press conferences, the at the league office, or all these uh, these meetings with all thirty two owners, or probably maybe thirty three, but uh, soon enough, you just see the guy that's running the meetings with an undone undone tie wrapped on his neck. Fucking imagine Berkey, bro, just presenting the cup with a tie around his neck, not done up. He would have to with a tie around his neck. Just it just has to happen. Like I don't I don't know how I don't know what else to say. Batman's he's gonna be gone. If this doesn't run Batman out the league, I don't know what does because people are calling for his res, uh, resignation. If this doesn't run him out of the league, then I think there should be a pro- an investigation into actual shady dealings within the league, like criminal dealings within the league. Yeah. I mean, it'd probably be in his best interest to resign for him personally. He he won't, though. No, you know how he is. You're going to need a fucking bulldozer to get that guy out of office. 
fuck. He's just going to keep deflecting it, deflecting and making terrible quote. He's going to just be a complete terrible quote and just say, he's going to keep saying, I feel bad for the guy. The Blackhawks failed him. The NHLPA failed him. Yeah, this guy's just a slimy snake. Fuck. Getting back, Batman also had another meeting with Kevin Chevaldeov, the GM of the Winnipeg Jets. And if I can find the quote, he's not re- uh, resigning. He's not fired. And uh, after his meeting with Batman, he had to say this. What Kyle went through was unacceptable, acknowledged Chevaldeov. He added that it was not until this year that he became aware that Beach Finn sexually assaulted. Kyle was failed by a system that should have helped him, but did not. I am sorry that my own assumptions about the system were not clearly good enough. Having the opportunity to reflect after reading the report and after seeing Kyle's moving interview, again, the one with Rick Westhead, I'm sorry I cannot change what took place or how the process was handled back then. The article continues to talk about the uh, the report from last week, detailed lack of action by Blackhawks management who were made aware that Beach's allegations did not deal with the matter, and but did not deal with the matter while playing in the cup final. Yeah, so that's about it. He's going to continue to be the gym of the of the Jets, which I'm happy with that. Yes, he was a part of, of upper management, but if the report came out that he didn't know anything, why should he be punished? Absolutely agreed. If it is true that he didn't know anything, then he should not be punished. But along the line, if it does come out that he was involved in it and he had knowledge of it, the same thing should happen to him as Quenville. But innocent until proving guilty. It should just be a, uh, a fire without, like, a vo- void your contract, banned from the league for life. But I don't think it's going to happen considering that there was, like, a private investigation. Also, there's one thing that we forgot to uh, we forgot to discuss, staying on the topic of firing Gary Bettman. What do you do about, about Donald Fair? Donald Fair? President, of, or the commissioner of the NHLPA. He fucked up really bad. It has to go through him first. Like, he's literally the faith of the players. The leader of the players' union who did not do anything to help a player. He represents all players. His single job is to take care of the players in the league, and he failed to do so. He 100% over Gary Bettman, the number one guy that deserves to lose his job. Uh, that's another, shit, that's another issue. We could go on forever about that. Fuck, who do you get on to replace the players' union? Do you get the head of the alumni of the NHL Alumni Association, Glenn Healy? I don't know. I don't know my, uh, enough about uh, that topic to really speak about I honestly do not know either about, like, I don't know much about that job and what it entails, but I think that's another job where you're going to have to get a businessman to come in there, which uh, if anybody from the league's listening or any, uh, if you guys want to get a stopgap for the next 20 years until I get my master's in business, I'm glad I will gladly come in there and take over players union in the NHL, like the NHL itself, anything. (laughs) He's a guy. Exactly. I'm your guy. What can I say? Oh, we'll get to that after the interview, which, by the way, we are joined by longtime NHL pro Ken Belanger for this week's episode. A bit of a shorter interview. It's going to be multiple parts. Just check back over the next few weeks, a few months. But we'll have even more coming out for you guys. I think we covered basically everything here. But we didn't even speak about Rick Westhead that much. Rick Westhead is possibly one of the, one of the greatest journalists in hockey. For all the work that he did, he should be going into the, into the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder. Just for putting Batman on blast like how he did, that should be enough to indict him into the fame, Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's not even what I'm talking about. For the fact that he was following the situation, the Kyle Beach story, the fact that he was advocating for Kyle and for all, all other victims of sexual abuse within the within hockey, not even just within the NHL, within the NHL, within the AHL, within Europe, within hockey in general. The fact that he was advocating for a great cause like that, he should be in consideration for a builder 
category in in the hockey hall of fame which i'm not even sure have they have they ever had um members of the media into the nhl into the hall of fame i'm not too sure that's one thing i'm curious about because if that's the case why isn't bob mckenzie in there checking right now no there's just any hockey hall of fame nhl media awards the foster hewitt and, and elmer ferguson memorial award which i've never heard of that up until now he should be considered for the hall for that work and i think that after this all comes down it will end up happening. That's another topic we can discuss. Should media members be allowed into the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Why not? You're part of the sport. Exactly. You're part of the sport. You're part of building it up, building the sport to fans. You should be allowed into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I think that if Rick Westhead is not the first inductee, it has to be Bob McKenzie. Agreed. Those two got to be one and two in either, or, in either order. I'd say Westhead first, then Bob. If you do Westhead this, this year or next year. There's another, let's just call it a shit show because I don't know what the proper term is for it. Remember the story with Akeem Elyu? Honestly, I don't know how to pronounce I forgot how to pronounce his last name. The scandal with racism in hockey. Oh, yes. So more shit came out. The NHL concludes Bill Peters' investigation. Akeem Elyu's lawyer casts doubt. That's the headline of the article from cbc.ca yesterday, November 1st at 7.57 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Canadian press. Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly told reporters Monday that the league has wrapped up its, its investigation into, into Bill Peters' alleged racist and abusive behavior towards his players. Akeem Elyu, who is black, played for Peters when they were both with the AHL's Rockford Ice Hogs more than a decade ago. He accused his former coach in November of 2019 with using racial profanities. Same thing happened with Mikhail Jordan, who played with Peters in, for the Hurricanes, who alleged Peters kicked him and punched another unnamed player during a game. Peter resigned as head coach. As head coach. Daly said the investigation has been completed. We have been in touch with Akeem Elyu's representatives about next steps, if any. Ben, I can't pronounce the last name. We're going to try. I think it's Greek. May Salas, Akeem's uh, lawyer, saw Daly's statement on Twitter and tweeted that neither he nor Elyu had been contacted by the NHL. This is the, his quote. This is news to me and not true. I am Akeem's rep and the NHL has not been in touch with us for over a year. Also, investigation was into broader issues of racism. Akeem experienced entire... Career in the NHL, not limited to Peters. Witnesses we told them about have not been contacted. What is this league doing? That is another reason why you should get rid of the highest brain trust in league. Batman and Daly need to be fired now. Having these two major scandals at once that the league tried to brush, like just get rid of, just fucking sweep it under the rug. They have to get out. They cannot be allowed to continue to be influential members of this league, of this industry, of this sport. They cannot be allowed to do this for the safety of the players, for the good of the fans, for the good of the game. For God's sakes, anybody listening, we need to get Bettman and Daly out of office and then we can work on Donald Fair. Joey, what do you what do you have on the matter? I think you said it best. It's hard, especially guys like you and I, to fathom this, how a league that looked so great and fantastic on the outside like we all dream about playing in this league as kids but now as we grow older and things start to surface we really see what what it is for and it's kind of like disgusting and disappointing i'm disgusted with the things that this league has been going through has done to players it's like an unsettling feeling i don't know if that's just me no i get that and I completely agree with you. Okay, I honestly don't know why I'm so like jumpy tonight. Like I'm actually I know exactly why. I'm very pissed off at this. How do I put this? Yeah, you were you said it exactly right. Like you remember when we were kids, not even playing, just watching the sport, watching the NHL, watching the Leafs. They're like celebrities to us. 
they kind of still are in a sense. Everything seems so glamorous. Everything seems so amazing. Oh, oh my God, you get to play a sport. You get to play a sport. Like you get to play hockey, the game you love for money as a career. That's the way it should be. The players that are good enough to make it to the highest level to be paid for this should not have to deal with this shit. I know for a fact, this is turning off so many people from playing hockey. And this is why I'm really happy that the Hockey Diversity Alliance was founded. For those of you who don't know, it was a, I'm not sure if a coalition is the right term. It's an alliance started by many current and former black hockey players who want to see a change in this league. And I completely agree. There's no room for racism in this league. There's no room for any form of insensitivity in this league, whether it be racism, sexism, homophobia, like none of that shit should be allowed in this league. And this shows the true, the true way that these guys are like Batman and Daly. Like they're all fine with their cushy jobs and their, we discussed this a few months ago. What, are they, what does Batman make? 12, 13 mil a year with their multi-million dollar salaries and their cushy jobs up in New York. And then as soon as, soon as something bad, something happens that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, I don't know if this is real. It says uh, Batman signed a three-year deal worth 207 million. Where is that from? Look up Batman's salary. I see that. 207.5 million. That's, that's from Wikipedia. Yeah. And if you go down to Hockey Zone Plus, he made $119 million in his career. I sourced the New York Times, sourced Sportsnet, sourced Hockey Zone Plus, Sports Business Journal. He's making $9.6 million a year. Yeah. So he doesn't give a fuck, bro. He's making $9.6 bucks a year. Funny enough, if he was playing, he'd be the 22nd highest paid player in the league. I, is that right? No, that wouldn't make sense. Never mind. Never mind. Sorry, I, I read that wrong. It seems like Batman and Daly pride themselves on doing absolutely fuck all, doing the bare minimum just to not piss people off in the spotlight. Buying closed doors, fuck knows what they do. But and then as soon as you see scandals like this coming out, they just try and sweep it on the rug. Yeah, it's fine. We're going to put out a press release saying that we can we condemn all this stuff. And we can't believe that, that we let it slip or anything giving minimal responsibility, if any. And once they do that, all right, it's done, over and done with. Let's try and expand expand the league into China for the millionth time, but not give them any money. I think that these guys are complete scumbags and they deserve no place in this league. And this makes my case even better for the two of them to get out as soon as possible. I want to see Rick Westhead come out in the next couple of weeks saying there's a meeting with all the owners to vote on whether or not they'll still have their jobs. If they are going to impeach him, Get him out. I have a, I guarantee you, if it comes down to a vote, he's gone. Shit, I can't even guarantee you that. Never mind. Fuck. And that's another sad truth with the league. He keeps making the owners money, so they're going to keep wanting him in there. Shit. The owners and other people don't give a fuck. I don't know what else to say. It's the sad truth about the league. It's a business. This isn't a sport. For the love of the game, does not exist anymore in this league. Like it or not, the sport that anybody listening, anybody who's watching this, the sport that we grew up loving and playing and enjoying with all our hearts and giving our lives to for most of us at least it's not even close to what we thought it was and that's the sad reality this has opened my eyes up a lot granted i still love this sport with all my heart i'm still gonna watch i'm still gonna play this sports promise brought me and i know it's brought joey and alex so much joy in our lives it's the same for millions and millions of people across the world we need to do better we need to be better as fans we need to be better as the hockey family so let's start the movement we need to be better as a hockey society regardless of what you think that means we need to be better as a society in hockey we cannot have 
any of this shit happen anymore. We can't have these stories of what happened in, I want to say it was the Ukraine from a few weeks ago. We cannot have these instances of having this bullshit swept under the rug in the league. We all need to be better. We need to be united to stop the injustice within our beautiful game and bring our amazing sport back to the way it should be. It needs to be better. It needs to be the way that we as a society need it to be. That's my rant. Joey, what do you have? I really like that idea. I think we should be tagging that in our next few posts and uh, kind of have that be uh, our movement piece. Hashtag be better. Hashtag be, hashtag be better. Hashtag be better hockey. Hashtag be better hockey. And I think like how uh, Matt said, you know, make that mean what you want it to mean. Whether if you want it to mean, you know, no more racial profiling, no more uh, homophobia, no more sexism in our game. Whatever you want it to mean. Make sure it at least has a meaning to you. Hashtag be better hockey. Not only be better hockey players, but be better people towards each other. And the stigma of hockey filled with a bunch of um, posh boys that uh, think they're better than everyone. Because not for anything, it's situations like these that kill our game, that uh, kill the fan interaction, that make us look bad. When I say us, I mean us as a hockey community, everyone that plays hockey. There's a stigma around hockey now, and I know I'm not by myself when I speak on it. I know a lot of people can vouch for that as well. But uh, I think Matt really covered it. You just got to be better. I think that's our new movement brought brought to you by TNT. Hashtag be better hockey. Hashtag be better hockey. We're going to get it up and running. We're going to get this thing going, and we're going to make it big because we need to save our game. Hashtag be better hockey. Hashtag save our hockey. Let's get this going. Now we're going to send you off to our interview with Kenny Belanger. We hope you guys enjoy. We are proud to have on the show today a man whose career spans from 1995 to 2006, playing for the Leafs, the Islanders, the Bruins, and the LA Kings, drafted by the Hartford Whalers. Ken Belanger, how are you today, bud? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me. So I just want to start right at the beginning. Growing up in Sault Ste. Marie, where did you find your love for hockey and what helped you uh, to grow that love for our beautiful game? Yeah, well, uh, growing up in Northern Ontario, winters are long. And, uh, you know, there was, you know, when I was growing up, like probably there was, there was lots of outdoor rinks and you know, everybody had a rink over their garden, their backyard. So ice was easy to find and, you know, there was always a game being played. So I fell in love with hockey at an early age, as most kids do. And uh, my goal at an early age was I just I wanted to play hockey for the rest of my life. And uh, that I, I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew I wanted to be a hockey player. Well said. You spent your time in, in junior split between the Ottawa 67s and the Oshawa Generals. But I'd like to focus in on your time in Ottawa and your coach and GM at the time, Brian Killeray. Can you speak about him and the effect that he had in your career, given that his long history in hockey, both as a player and in management and coaching? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the funny story about me being drafted is that um, I didn't know anything about the drafts. Growing up here, it's pretty naive. I didn't watch any junior games or, you know, I mean, I watched NHL on TV, but we went to Kitchener for the draft and seen all the jerseys on the tables. And the only team I didn't want to get drafted to was Ottawa because I hated the jerseys. I hated the Barber Pole jerseys. I'm like, those are terrible, right? So, that was just kind of personal. I said that to myself. I'm looking at all the jerseys. Oh, they all look pretty nice. And, and lo and behold, the team I got picked was Ottawa. But it was a blessing in disguise because, um, you know, I, I didn't know who 
Frank Kilray was at the time, but he became instrumental in, in mentoring hundreds of players. And, you know, I, I was fortunate to be a part of his success of, uh, of coaching. And, you know, he really taught me at the beginning what it was like to be a pro. And he taught guys, if you weren't ready to be a pro, he sent guys home. So he made it very clear in terms of what his expectations were and what they should be about herself. And so, you know, starting my OHL career with, with a mentor like that was, uh, I couldn't ask for a better start. Would you say that he was more of a um, like more of a hard nosed coach? Like given who he played for, who he played with, like or was he more, or was he considered more of a players coach? I think there's a fine line between both. I think he was a hard nosed players coach. He knew the line of hard nosed, but he also had the line of respect. So there wasn't too many players that did not have respect for him. The only ones that wouldn't have respect for him were the guys that he sent home because they couldn't buy into being a part of a program. So he was a hard nosed, but at the same time, it was that tough love scenario that. Uh, he was going to pull the best out of you, whether you wanted it or not. And if you didn't want it, you were, you were gone. If you wanted it, he was going to find that best to make you a, a more complete player. Those are the best kind of coaches. Granted, I never played um, anything above minor hockey, but in my, I got myself, and I know Joey and uh, Alex, they can both speak to this too, especially Joey because he played with me for seven years. The harder coaches, the more hard-nosed coaches that enjoy, like that know how to still gel well with the players. Those are the best for your development. They're the, they're the ones that you can look back on and think, okay, like this is the guy that helped me along the most of my career. And I, and I know you can agree with that. When I was kind of saying that question, I uh, made a little mistake there. I mentioned the Oshawa Generals. You actually played for the Guelph Storm after Ottawa. During your time in Guelph, you played with somebody who's a little bit of a, I don't want to say rock star in the media in the media community in Canada now. Jeff O'Neill, O-Dog. Back in, when you two played junior together, we see the, the same type of energy that he uh, shows now on TSN. Yeah, he was. He was always at high end, you know, always talking, always yapping. And, but I, he was such an elite player from a youth age. So he kind of had that, you almost have to carry that stigma when you're that good and you got press and media and you're rated, you know, number one OHL and you're rated number one NHL. That's a lot to deal with. And he managed it well. I think as any teenager could have, based on what the hockey world was telling him and offering him. But yeah, no, he was he had the same personality in the in junior hockey as he now. So moving away from your junior career into your pro life, you were drafted by the Hartford Whalers in the seventh round in 1992. Can you take us through the draft process? Like, were there interviews? Were you something over the phone? Uh, how was it different from then compared to nowadays? You know, kind of like the OHL draft. I really had no idea what the NHL draft was about. The process. Never watched one on TV, never followed one. So all I knew is that when I went to Ottawa, you know, it was halfway through the year, Brian Miller said that you're rated to get drafted and come into NHL draft. And I was kind of like, I wasn't really sure how to absorb that because I, I wanted to be a hockey player, but I wasn't aware of how quick it was going to happen. You know, because I went from my backyard rink to being drafted to living in Ottawa to six months later being rated for an NHL draft, which I had no idea about. So it, it was moving quick. And so I didn't have an agent. Because I, I was, you know, I was, you know, coming from the north, and I wasn't a high, high, high prospect. So the draft was in Montreal, which was special for me. Not that I'm a Montreal fan, but uh, my grandfather was a Montreal fan, so he got to spend the draft with me in Montreal uh, in the forum. So it was pretty special that I had family there for the draft uh, in Montreal in the forum. So I, I know that was a highlight of my uh, grandfather's life. I mean, so the draft process, you know, once again that year. They opened it up to free agents with Europeans coming over at no extra expense to the teams. So there was uh, the draft was really kind of messed up because there was like a draft round. Uh, you know, I was rated third round going into the draft. But when the team started picking the, the European players, 
uh, and rightfully so because these guys were NHL ready. They were, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old, established uh, pro hockey players in, you know, Russia. So they were coming and making an instant uh, impact. So they it bumped the trap back three or four rounds because of the uh, that year. But at the end of the day, really, it didn't matter. It didn't affect my career. And, uh, you know, being drafted with Hartford, you know, we uh, spent two training camps there. But I wasn't ready to be a pro. You know, my first camp, I was 18, and I was real nervous going in because I was like, same idea again. It happened so fast for two years, OHL draft, NHL draft. Now I'm at NHL camp in Hartford that I was really unaware of what to expect. And, uh, you know, I, I felt I was still really young and I was with a bunch of men. And, you know, you got to think in the, in the 90s, like the game was a lot older. The players were a lot older. It wasn't 18 and 19-year-olds in the lineup. They were, you know, mid-20s and they were seasoned players, right? So it wasn't really about tons of skills, a lot more grit uh, back then. So, you know, my experiences were, you know, I was ready to go back to junior after my first uh, NHL camp. It was a good experience, but at the same time, it was pretty far outside of my comfort zone in terms of experiencing, you know, the NHL experience uh, initially. I'm just trying to remember here, your couple seasons in Hartford, was it, could they uh, had acquired Chris Pronger at that point, did they not? Uh, so my trade? No, your, uh, your, your training camps in Hartford, they had Chris Pronger on that team, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was drafted. Yeah. Pronger was drafted. Yeah. Pronger was first overall in Hartford, yes. Can I give you any shit uh, during uh, your time there? Do you give you any, any uh, I don't want to say uh, ball-breaking sessions, but like, you're a big guy. He's a big, he's a big guy. You guys ever go at it a little bit? No. You know what? He was a, obviously being post overall, the prospect, his potential being around it was, you know, he, he had the red rug rolled out and I had, uh, you know, I was right in the back of the pickup truck. So there wasn't, uh, you know, training camps were separated back then, like pretty separated in terms of the first year guys and actually the guys who had a chance to make the team. So, you know, right, right out of the gate, you know, my first two camps in Hartford where you know, I definitely wasn't in the top prospects to making their team that year. So they separated the minor league guys with the pro guys uh, really well. Damn, I was, I was kind of open for you to say, yeah, yeah, you know, like, uh, he was nothing to me compared, compared to me because he's been dodging my uh, my text to come on the show for a while. I was waiting for a little uh, a little humbling session. <laughs> oh, seriously, he's, he's such a nice guy from the, the conversations I've had with him. One thing, when you were drafted, did you get calls from Hartford before the draft saying that we were interested in you? No, I had no idea. I know my agent told me that San Jose was interested. I had no idea what that was. I knew it was far away. So, no, we didn't have any... We had no dialogue. I didn't do any team interviews. I didn't, you know, meet with any teams. Not like now. I think teams want to get to understand who the player is, and you know, they want to do a full bio and background check on the player to make sure he's got no dirt. As we see what the Montreal experienced this year when they drafted a player with some negativity, that they thought they were going to be able to get away with it, but uh, you know, it's pretty apparent what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in the uh, sponsorship world and in the fan world. And uh, so, you know, it's it was a little different when I played. There was the social media. And, there wasn't as much coverage on individual players as now. There's no hiding. You do something wrong, and it's everyone knows about it. It's gonna, you know, it'll cost your career. Yeah, hundred percent. Like back now, yeah, like exactly. You just put the, you hit the nail right on the head. Like you can't hide anything these days. Your secrets are everybody else's secrets. So after finishing off your junior career, you're dealt just for the sake of this. Your hometown, Toronto Maple Leafs. Who was the first person to contact you from Toronto after that trade, and what was going through your head when you put on that iconic jersey? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, just did a podcast for the Islanders yesterday. You know, speaking about the experience, kind of gives me uh, shivers my spine. The it's really hard to express the experience of being a Leaf, let alone you know dressing for them, and let alone playing in Maple Leaf Gardens on Hockey Night Canada on Saturday night. So uh, Danny Marr was their agent at the time, and he was in our area in Guelph, and 
it was on the news. I got traded to Toronto. And I, when they announced I got traded, I really didn't fully understand. Like I did, but I didn't look, I wasn't looking at the big picture. Like, wow, I'm a Leaf now. Because I was still a kid, right? I mean, I was 19 and you're playing OHL and all of a sudden you're traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I didn't really realize the impact it was going to have on my life or the experience I, I was going to be experiencing until I actually, uh, you know, got to training camp and, and, and was a leaf and I'm in Toronto. And it was just, it was real surreal because once again, you know, three years is, is nothing. And, you know, so, so started my career to, you know, end of three years where I'm in now in Maple Leaf and I'm in the Leafs training camp and I got Wendell Clark, Gilmore, Sundin, Poth and all the guys I watched and I was playing the PlayStation with, you know, now I'm all sudden I'm actually on the ice with these guys. It was a surreal experience uh, in the aspect of where, you know, through my whole career, I was, I was a hockey fan while I played. I still collected autographs and I, I really respected the game and the players and I appreciated, you know, I just love hockey. So, you know, being a Leaf, you know, my first game, uh, when I got uh, called up, as I said, it was in Hockey Night in Canada and, you know, I go for a warm up and it was just so, so overwhelming uh, with the emotions of nervousness, excitement, anxiety. And, you know, you're walking out the tunnel, and like you say, you got Gilmore and Sundin and now you're going out with these guys with the jersey on and you get out to the rink and it's just, I didn't even go watch any NHL games live. Being in the North, we never, there was no one really close to us. So we never, I'd never even seen games live. So almost my first live game was really me being in it. So, you know, when you're looking on the corner and warm up and you see Ron McLean and Don Cherry, and it's like, this is the real deal. And that was the start of my career. And, you know, my career went by that quick as well as, you know, I remember my first tunnel walking out and I remember finishing in LA and, you know, it was that quick. So I was fortunate to play in so many great teams and, you know, unreal cities and, you know, incredible fans with all the, the bullshit that comes with it and injuries. I would, uh, uh, even though I didn't get to play a career that I wanted to in terms of, you know, more ice time and more points and being more effective, I would uh, still, I would do it all over again. It was definitely uh, a lifetime experience. Well said. And uh, I know you're we're running out of time here. There's one thing I want to discuss. Uh, your playing career is way too uh, long and long and illustrious to um, to cover in one in one interview, but one, one thing I want to discuss is your many ventures outside your post-career. One thing more specifically is, and for those of you who are watching on YouTube or on our Instagram, uh, if we, when we clip this out, you have all your Shop Lockers merch uh, all around you in the hoodie. Can you take us through Shop Lockers, uh, the company, your inspiration behind it, and uh, a little bit of background? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, you know, after spending, you know, 10 years in, in NHL and really understanding the game and some of its needs and, and seeing the injuries that players endured and then being a fan of the game and watching what the expectations were you know you know when I played there wasn't a ton of expectations of blocking shots you know guys were doing the flamingo and it was okay to step out of the way because it didn't make sense to step in front of a shot that was 100 miles an hour but that changed over the last you know five or six years it, it has become a legitimate stat shot blocking you're expected to stand in front of the pocket you know 100 miles an hour which blows me away that you're going to put your five million dollar player in front of a shot that could put him out for the season, you know, six months. So shop blockers, you know, I've evolved it. We were the first company to have a skate protection in the NHL. Uh, it would have been back in, it was over about 11 years ago. We, we made a set back in uh, for uh, player in Vancouver and we were servicing a team and then the market changed a bit. And so I've kind of always had to evolve my product in terms of what the market wanted. Uh, so it's, it's been a long journey of learning the industry it's such a niche market. There's there's not a lot of other competitors. I got no competitors in my tongue industry. I've got tongue pieces that lace in, so which is a huge injury point on the top of the skate. So we've got some you know one piece 
tongues that lace into every skate size and model. Uh, we got those out. And uh, recently, we just come out with our new product, the XTD Flex, which is a side piece now. It's a fully customized piece that you are able to, that basically adheres uh, with adhesives on the side of your skate. So it's not invasive. It weighs grams uh, and it works. It's been impact tested. So it, it saves foot injuries. So we're able to uh, we're, we're able to do customizing for organizations and our individual team players. So I'm really excited about the new product. Uh, we just launched the new site. We've got our new product pictures coming up there shortly. So, you know, if there's uh, if there's ways I can keep uh, players uh, in the game longer. And it's, and it's, you know, the biggest market that we look at is not even just for the pro guys. Like they're a small market, but it's really the rec hockey, you know, the men's and women's leagues who can't afford to miss work who can't take can you jump on the subway with with crutches or you know the cast so it's a big big market and uh you know once we start educating people on the product that's out there and available we know that, that we're going to get a lot more uh, customers from that so i'm pretty excited about moving forward and uh you know once we get all we haven't done any social media posts about it yet but uh, once we do we'll be sure to send some information to you well said well said and uh, shopblockers.com for all the products more information more coming out day by day Kenny, thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute honor to get the chance to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. You have yourself a great day and good luck with your show. Likewise, likewise. Take it easy. Thank you. Bye. We hope you guys all enjoyed our interview with Ken. And again, thank you, Ken, for coming on the show. An absolute pleasure talking to you. Amazing career. We're going to get even more in depth into it in future interviews. Okay, guys, we had a few topics that we wanted to discuss further on in this episode. But you know what? Honestly, with everything that's happened, with everything that we've discussed, we're just going to leave it here. We hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We hope you guys enjoyed all of the topics beforehand. I don't know how to how to properly word this, but our show is meant for entertainment. It's meant to entertain, but it's also meant to inform people and it's meant to motivate. When Joey, Alex, and I started Twigs and Twine, we just started this just for fun, but we also knew that we need to make our voices heard and we need to try our best to be the voice of the hockey community in any way possible, which is why we're going to end it off here. We hope you guys enjoyed. And again, let's get this shit going. Let's get these hashtags going. Hashtag be better hockey. Hashtag save our game. Hashtag save our hockey. Let's get it going. Joey, any final words? All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to episode 30 of Twigs and Twine. The most powerful episode we've no, ever had. pretty much summed it up. And uh, remember, yeah, that's about it. Be better. We hope you guys have be a great week. Hockey. And we'll see you all next time for episode 31.